<laughs> so good to see everyone this morning. Isn't God so good? We serve a, we serve a mighty and good God. We do. I was reminded as we were worshiping, I remember uh, Jesus was out there and you know, some religious person was like, hey, tell them to stop your disciples. Tell them to stop praising and singing. He goes, hey, if I do and there's no one to praise God, the rocks are going to cry out in my name. And so we, we are definitely privileged uh, to be able to come together and to worship, worship God um, together. Um, in addition to what um, Doug was saying, yesterday we had an architect here that's donating some time. Um, looking at our children's space and looking at this space. Because as you know, when everyone is here and all the kids are here, uh, the children area is overflowing and it's challenging to teach in an open space with other kids. And so we're looking at um, redesigning and doing some construction in there, building some dedicated classroom space. Um, the Carpenters for Christ is going to come in and partner with us to help do some of the construction. And so um, God's definitely moving and we're very I'm very humbled to be part of such a, a loving and serving uh, and giving, uh, giving church. Uh, if you are online with us uh, this morning, you'll see, you probably can see communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, if you would like to partake of that online with us, you can grab some grape juice and some bread, and we will be um, receiving that uh, as a church at the end of service. So yeah, we're definitely blessed. Also, uh, is Doug, oh, the Doug's still here. Give him a big round of applause on the school supplies. Did you guys see that on the way in? Like, that's amazing. And Doug and Colleen's children have been working. He said, like, we came in, Kevin and I came in late last night uh, with the bus. Uh, but but uh, Doug and Marina were here as well, still continuing to put those school supplies uh, together. They came in late. And so... Um, that's not all that's there when you walked in. If you go into the children's space, there's tons more. That was a partnership with the Bridge Coffee Shop in Newtown. And so they're going to be delivering those backpacks, I believe, this week to the school. And so such a blessing uh, for that. So we are starting this new series, and we're going to be working through the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. And it's only like five chapters um, so it's not going to take a long time to work through it, but we will be working through it. And I want to encourage you to read ahead. We're only covering four verses today, but I would encourage you to read uh, the first chapter and uh, just be praying how God would speak into you uh, through his word. So I've titled this sermon, It's All About Him. It's all about Jesus. I mean, the whole reason that we're here, the whole reason that we have fellowship is a big theme in 1 John. The whole reason that we serve God and can serve God in joy um, is because of Jesus. The reason that our sins are forgiven, we can have a relationship and fellowship with a holy God is because of Jesus. And so the title of this sermon is, It's All About Him. And we're going to be looking at 1 John 1. Verses 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll have that up on the screen. So I remember one morning, I, was, I had woken up, getting ready for work, just like I had any other day. Nothing, out of the, uh, nothing that was abnormal about this day. And I get out of bed, and I go into the bathroom, and 
I don't know if you're like me, but I always take a drink of water from the faucet. I'm thirsty. I took a drink of water and just instantly I had the worst severe pain I've ever had in my abdomen. And I thought, well, that's really weird. That's strange. Why am I doing that? And I just began to, to dry heave and dry heave, and I couldn't stop. Amanda got up. She got ready for work, and she's like, you better go to the doctor and get this checked out. Of course, I was like, ah, it's probably just the flu. No big deal. And so she leaves, and I call the doctor's office. And they say, yeah, come on, come on in. Let's check you out. I go in, and they're like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, this is kind of weird. Like, go home and sleep it off. Like, okay, well, I go home, and... I'm in this, again, the most severe pain that I've ever been in, and I'm literally blacked out on the floor from the pain, and thanks be to God that Amanda had a migraine that day, and she came home and found me, Um, and she's like, hey, we got to go to the hospital. Long story short, um, come to find out, my stomach had twisted from a previous surgery and went into my upper chest cavity, and the blood supply had, had shut off. And the pain was so severe that there was nothing that they could do to stop the pain. No morphine or anything would stop it. So they just had to literally just knock me out, like totally, like going into surgery. And um, at that point, I don't really remember anything because the pain was so bad. Um, But I do remember waking up on a hospital bed in a hallway with bright lights. And I woke up and Amanda's there. And I said, what, what's going on? And then, why are you crying? And she goes, well, they just wanted to wake you up so I could tell you goodbye. They don't know if you're going to make it. And I was like, oh, wow. This is kind of serious. <laughs> this is kind of a big deal. And then, of course, I, you know, they put me out and I go into surgery. I was in the hospital for 10 days. And praise God, I'm still here, standing here today uh, to tell the story. But I remember during those 10 days, I was reflecting on it, and nothing during those 10 days did I ever think about my house, did I ever think about my car, did I ever think about my 401k. Not once did I ever think about those things. Never even crossed my mind. The only thing that crossed my mind were my relationships with God with my family and with my friends. And so I want you to think of that as we go through 1 John. And John begins to talk about the central theme of this sermon. It's all about him, but it's all about fellowship. It's all about a relationship. And John, he was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus over multiple years. And he was part of the inner circle of the twelve. Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle. And he got to experience things that the others did not get to experience. He wrote the book of John, the gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he wrote Revelation. He's the only one to live to be about 100 years old. He wrote this book around 90, 95. So he's about 100 years old at the time when he wrote 1 John. And when you think of John, you probably think of love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Jesus, he called him the one that I love. Not that he didn't love the others, but he called him the one that I love. 
And so there's a lot of themes about love and family and relationship when it comes to John and the writings, the inspired word of God. And so the, I'm going to point out three key themes as we go through this. And the first theme is on fellowship or community. I know this mic is driving us all crazy. Sorry. I will get it fixed in a second. So fellowship or community. So I'm going to go ahead and read these first four verses, and we're going to go back through them. Verse 1. That which, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship. There it is. That you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you, so that you, so that you or our joy may be complete. Which was from the beginning that Jesus, the Word, the Word of life, Logos, was from the beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. We see that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word is or was God. John here, he's again saying that Jesus, as part of the Trinity, that Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning when all things were created, and that he is God in the beginning. What was, what was which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon? Jesus. Again, it's all about Jesus. The word here is logos. And the Jews at the time referred to as how you would know God is through the Word. Through His Word is how you would know God. The Greeks referred to Logos as all-power, all-encompassing in the universe. Logos. It means, the Word means everything. All-powerful, all-knowing, everything. Logos of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Verse 2. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And you may be wondering, what is going on here? Why is John saying so much about Jesus and who he is? Men and I went down, I don't know if you know, but there's, a, there's a, like a marina, a little dock area just down here that you can canoe on a canal on a little river all the way up to the park, Lakeside 370 Park. And it's called like the Blue Canal or I don't know, anyone been on there? We took our kayaks up there. Thought we were going to die before we got back, but we made it. Another near-death experience. Um, so we were there, and I was fishing, and I caught this 
huge fish, like the only fish that I caught, but it was really big. And I was trying to get it in the canoe, and it was flopping all around. I'm trying to get the hook out of its mouth, and it was just kind of a crazy, chaotic thing. What is going on here is John is denouncing or arguing against Gnosticism. And Gnosticism at the time, it was kind of like a flopping fish. Like you can't really quite define what Gnosticism is because it's just really undefinable because there's so many different elements to Gnosticism. But what Gnosticism was a Plato teaching. And a Plato teaching at the time of this was to say that all things spiritual are good and all things physical are bad, right? And so they were making this argument about only spiritual things are good and all material things are bad. And John's debunking this. And what they were trying to say is is that there's no way that Jesus, the Messiah who's come to earth, could be physical. Because according to Plato and Gnosticism, nothing physical can be good. Jesus can't be physical. Here John is saying, no, I have touched him. I have talked with him. Spent three years with this guy. No, he, he, is, he was physical in the flesh. And he was making that argument. Sometimes when people talk about Jesus or the gospel, we may be saying the same words, but we may be using different dictionaries. Those that are following Gnosticism had knew and proclaimed Jesus, but they were using a different dictionary. In John, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to advance to that. Just look at one specific verse, verse number 2. It says, by this, I'm going to go back to one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, here it is, that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is is not from God, meaning that they have to confess that Jesus, right? We confess our faith in Jesus, that he came in the flesh, that God raised him from the grave, that he came from God. He was serving the Father to say, if you want to test someone, test them in that way. So here John was rebuking this Gnosticistic, if that's a word. Someone said, I think someone said, yeah. Sounded sounded really smart anyway. He was testing that theory. And you say, well, why is it so important that Jesus, to say that Jesus was flesh? Fully God and fully human. Why is that so important? I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to turn to that real quick. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made, had to be made like his brothers in flesh in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. So here it's saying that Jesus had to become flesh 
to become the high priest, to be the propitiation of our sins. So Jesus had to become flesh, fully God, fully human, so that our sins could be forgiven. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, right? Probably remember at Christmas, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Seems kind of important to say that Jesus, fully God, fully human, flesh and bones, as he walked on the earth. That's the second key theme that this points out, that Jesus, that John is saying that Jesus, fully God, the word became flesh and dwelt, and dwelt amongst us. And if you think about God stepping out of heaven into an earthly body, being flesh, sometimes I think we just kind of skim over that. But, but think about the implications that that has for you and for me. That God is now relatable. That we can have a relationship. He became like brothers and, and sisters. Like we can have a relationship with, with God. He is relatable. He's personal. We can have fellowship on a much deeper level. So it is important. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. Koinonia. The idea of re- relationship or the idea of fellowship not only in 1 John, but throughout the New Testament is vitally important. So one of the key things in the New Testament is about fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. And this idea of fellowship is a common bond. It's a loving relationship. Because we have things that we can relate to one another in a loving relationship together. That's fellowship. Like we... I use that term sometimes at church is that we're going to get together for fellowship. It's a loving relationship. We have things in common, common interests, common goals with someone else and with also with, with God. Did you know that every one of you are a theologian? You might not have known that. You can put that on your business card. You're a theologian. You're like, what, what did he call me? Don't call me that. You may look to your spouse and say, see, I told you, I was a theologian. But there is no one on earth that can escape having a view about God. I've never met someone and say, tell me what you think about God. And they're like, I don't know. I have no, I, I have no opinion on that whatsoever. All of us have an opinion about God. And when John wrote this letter, it had to have been extremely shocking 
to the original leader or to the original um, uh, audience of this book in the Bible to say you can have a personal relationship koinonia you can have fellowship with God the God of Jacob and Isaac God most high Deuteronomy 6 4 to the Jewish culture to say you can have fellowship with God had to be extremely shocking and had to test their theology. It was revolutionary. For me, you may say this too, that that Jesus is my friend. It may seem that. Not only Jesus should be your friend, he should be your closest friend relationship in deep fellowship with God and honestly that's that's unappealing for a lot of people because they say I don't feel close to God like I don't feel worthy to have a relationship with God I don't even know what that looks like what would God have me to do differently than what I'm doing right now I'm, I'm okay with where I am right now that seems really uncomfortable to me and I think that's unappealing to a lot of people And if you're asking yourself this question of why would God want to have that type of relationship with me, it's because he loves you. He loves you because it's his nature, it is who he is. Not because of who you are, not because of the great things that you have done. He loves you because of who he is. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too have fellowship. We just read that. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, that seems out of order to me. Like, shouldn't it be fellowship with God and then fellowship with others? But he said, no, you can have fellowship with us and we have fellowship with God and with Jesus. And I would say this, that sometimes... Yes, God is sovereign, and yes, God is seeking people. And yes, God plays a major role in people in their lives of of finding God and seeking God. But he also uses you and I. He also uses the joy that we have, our fellowship that we have with one another, our fellowship that we have with God to demonstrate to the outside world what it looks like to have a relationship of God first, love God with, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others, what it looks like. Some people say a relationship and a fellowship, that deep of a relationship with Jesus is not appealing to me. But then they see you. They see True Life Community Church. And they say, wow. I can have that joy. I can have that type of fellowship with others. I got a relationship with God like that. Spurgeon wrote this. He said that fellowship is the sweetest. When fellowship is the sweetest, your desire is the strongest that others may have fellowship with you. And when truly your fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus, you earnestly wish the whole Christian brotherhood may share the blessing with you. 
When you have fellowship with God and you have that joy that we read about, your desire is that others would have that as well. Have you ever eaten at like a really nice restaurant? You're like, this is the best place I've ever eaten in the world. You're telling everybody, your neighbors, your friends, the trash guy picking up your trash. You're telling them about this restaurant that you went to that was so good. You want other people to know about this. That's why I say that our church is a missional, relational church, right? Like missional, like we're called to to be the light of the world in our community. How will they not know unless we tell them? How will they not know unless we show them? We might try some wacky things at True Life Community Church, or we might try things that don't work, or we may get a little ahead of ourselves at times, but... Hey, we're just out there trying to show the love of Christ to other people. And I appreciate everyone that serves and and a part of that. But part of our responsibility as Christians is to spend time with God in fellowship because that's where our joy comes from. And out of that should come our overflow of, of loving one another here at True Life Community Church and then showing the love of God to others in our lives. I mean, Doug's got the water palooza coming up next. Saturday, right? Yeah. I saw in Ethiopia they spray the holy water on people. So I was thinking, we just spray people with water palooza and we have like 120 baptisms like in one day. <laughs> we try things like that because we're missional. We want to love our community. But we're also relational. Like we have fellowship, love for one another, right? And we're like a family. I heard someone say that Paul, when he wrote the books in the Bible that he wrote to the church, and when John wrote the books of the Bible, he wrote to the family. That's why I say at True Life Community Church, we're like a family. And if you look at John's writings, and throughout the Bible, you'll see God as our Father. He writes little children, children, as he refers to Christians as believers, children, and he talks about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's this idea of family and fellowship together. And we have unity. We, have, uh, we agree on things. We have commonality amongst ourselves. <clears throat> Tradition would say that John, when he was 100 years old, that the church leaders would carry him around from church to church. Imagine like apostle who spent time with Jesus. Like there's going to be a crowd, right? People are going to show up. And tradition would say that they would hold John up in the middle of the sanctuary where the people are, and he would, he would say one thing. And maybe Doug and I could learn from this. I don't know. He would say one thing. Brothers and, little brothers and sisters, love one another. That was his sermon. That's what he said. The guy that followed Jesus was with Jesus for three years, 100 years old, been a Christian all this time. They lift him up in front of all these people, and he says, little brothers and sisters love one another. These church leaders are like, why are we carting you around? Like, that's all you're going to say? That's a lot of effort, you know, carrying you around from church to church. He goes, tradition, again, tradition would say. He said, if that's all that they do, that's good enough. If that's all that they do, it's good enough. 
I get it. Relationships are not easy. But what you put into your relationship with Jesus, what you put into your relationship with others, and what you put into your relationships with those in the community is what you'll get out of it. God has put a desire in all of our hearts to have relationships, to have fellowship with God and with others. The last key theme I'm going to point out here is that fellowship, your relationships is all that matters in the end. Who you as a theologian say Jesus is and your relationship with him is all that matters. And fellowship with God and others is the only way, what I interpret here, to have joy. To have joy. Now joy is a sense, sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on God. However, happiness is a sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on circumstances. So our joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on only God. When Jesus, before he was crucified, he said a few things in John. John 15, 11, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. John 16, 24 says, Until you have asked nothing, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And John 17, 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Never met anyone that didn't want joy or didn't want more joy in their lives. John wrote this, he said at the end, he said, verse 4, and we have written these things so that you, that our or you, your joy may be complete. I was uh, talking with my brother this week and we were looking at, my dad has an old 65 uh, Chevy pickup truck that he left and kind of tinkering around on it and he said, Something like a line had come off of the transmission. He was like, I was pouring transmission fluid in. He said, as fast as I was pouring it, it was coming out the bottom, and I didn't know it. He said, there's a major leak somewhere in this transmission. Billy Sunday, he said, if this was the evangelical guy way before Billy Graham, um, really well known and drew a large crowd probably don't know who he is, but this is what Billy Sunday said. He said, if Christians are not joyful, then you have a leak somewhere in your Christianity. If you are a Christian and you are not joyful, you have a leak somewhere and it needs to be fixed. We have so much to be joyful for. So much that we have been forgiven and that we can have a relationship and fellowship with God. John, he, he suffered in exile on the island of Padmas. He was threatened to be boiled. He was the only one that wasn't a martyr. He had gone through so much, but yet his joy was still full. I said that COVID doesn't have anything on how contagious a joyful Christian is. 
doesn't have anything. Joyfulness as you walk with God is extremely contagious to other people. But joy is not certain in our lives. It's possible, but it's not certain. Again, Spurgeon says this. He says, too many Christians are passive in their loss of joy. They need to realize it is a great loss. And here he says, the key, do everything they can to draw close to God. You want to know the, the, the key to joy? It's fellowship with God. Do everything that you can to draw close to God and reclaim the fullness of joy. If any of you have lost the joy of the Lord, I pray you do not think it a small loss. Drawing close to God is a relationship. Fellowship with God. Again, it's all about Him. Love God. First and foremost. Put Him first in all of your life. He will make your joy complete. I want to kind of leave you with this thought. Um, for me, I'm like at the end of Gen X and Millennial. We call it latchkey kid, right? Any latchkey kids out there? Right? A lot of a lot of us latchkey kids. Personally, I feel like latchkey kids. We got something to prove, like to our parents, like we're wanting approval or something like that. And you know, I chased the corporate dream for a long time and. Um, before I gave my life to serving God. And, and, I, and I want to have you think about this when it comes to fellowship with, with God and with your family. I honestly believe, like where I am now with Amanda and the kids, that they really don't care if I'm a pastor of five people or 500. They really don't care if I have $5 in my 401k or $5 million. They just don't care. They just want fellowship with, their, with me, their father. And Amanda just wants to spend time with me and for me to love her. I would go on a limb and say, God doesn't, does not care if you're the janitor or the CEO. He doesn't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or a successful mom. He doesn't care if you got a million dollars in your 401k or zero dollars. He just wants to spend time with you. He loves you. He wants fellowship with you. He, he wants you to put him first above all. Like it's a relationship. It requires commitment. And he wants your joy to be full. And I pray that that gives some of you some freedom. And what God wants for you. He just wants fellowship with you. Amen. So, we are here today because of Jesus. Because he came in the flesh. He stepped out of heaven onto earth. He lived a life that we could not live. He served his Father in heaven perfectly. To a point of death on a cross for our sins. Because he loves you. Because he wants your joy to be complete. He wants fellow. He, he come down from heaven so he could have a 
better, more perfect relationship with you so your sins could be forgiven, that you would be made right with God, you'd be in perfect standing with God, perfect fellowship and relationship with God to give you a, a new identity, to call you beloved children, adopted children of our Father who is in heaven. And I want to go back to that. No matter, at the end, all that's going to matter is your fellowship and who you say that Jesus is. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, just say, hey, I, Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm going to follow him. I believe he was flesh, that he died on a cross. I, I believe that God sent him and God the Father raised him from the dead. I believe that. That's the only introduction that you need for fellowship. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is like a nanosecond. You go from death to life, from darkness to light. From being separated from God to being in fellowship with God. It's all about Jesus. If you've never done that today, you just have to ask God to do that in your life. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to um, we're going to begin the communion, receiving the communion. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we uh, first off, I pray for myself. I, I pray for my family. I pray for this church family. I pray for our community. Lord, I pray that our joy would be made complete because of the fellowship that we have with, with you and with others. Lord, I pray that it's, it's all, it is all about Jesus. That, Lord, we seek you first. That we are reminded that Jesus did come in the flesh. That the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That God, that your nature, it's not because of anything we've done, but you just love us because it's who you are, that you would step out of heaven into earth to live a life that we couldn't live. That this idea that we can have a relationship with you, a personal relationship with you, would not be revolutionary. It would be something that we cherish and we, and, and we take advantage of every single day of our lives. It would not be some foreign concept. That our theology would be right. And that we lean on that the only thing that matters in the end is who we say Jesus is and our relationship with you because of, because of your son Jesus. And the fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I pray as we, uh, you're beginning to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. That, Lord, you say there are a few things you want us to do. It's to put our faith and trust in Jesus, to love you, love others, to be baptized, and to, to do what we're about to do in remembrance of your son, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray you're preparing our hearts now.
Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed for me and for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that it covers my sins. And all God's people said,